Listener Production. Hello, Sasha Barbagat with you for this morning's episode of The Briefing. We've been asking you a lot lately to send us ideas for episodes. Anna Quinn wrote to say she works in Antarctic science and what's happening down there as a result of climate change is having a devastating effect on the region and it's set to significantly impact us here in Australia. We're talking drops in sea ice, melting ice sheets, impacts on critical ocean currents and that's before we start talking about the impact on the continent's emperor penguins we all know and love. And it's big money too. The Southern Ocean absorbs so much carbon dioxide that if you priced it at European prices for carbon, it's worth about 250 billion Australian dollars a year. A deep dive on the climate crisis in Antarctica coming up in the second half of this ep. First though, we've got Bensi on Seabert here with the headlines. It is Tuesday, February 13. Morning, Sasha. Two Israeli hostages freed from Gaza have been reunited with their families as strikes on the city of Rafa kill more than 100 Palestinians. The intensive airstrike raid was used by the IDF as cover to rescue the two men who have been held by Hamas since the October 7 attacks. Officials say the pair are in good condition. The raid is sparking an international backlash though, and Anthony Albanese weighed in yesterday with his strongest comments against Israel during the fighting yet. Israel must listen to the international community. There are more than a million civilians who are sheltering in and around Rafa. Uh, Israel has a responsibility as a democratic nation uh, to uh, show care in relation to these innocent civilians. The Prime Minister on Nine Radio there. So why has Rafa become so significant and why the renewed outrage, Sasha? It's a good question, Bencion. And the reason is that so many Palestinian refugees are currently in the area. More than a million have been forced to shelter in the southernmost parts of Gaza, which includes Rafa, to escape heavy fighting in the north over the last four months of the conflict. Most are living in makeshift tents near the Egyptian border, with fears a ground invasion by Israel could see a horrific spike in civilian casualties, which have already been in their tens of thousands, Bencion. Yeah, and Rafa is in the southernmost tip of Gaza. It's where 1.4 million people have been sheltering. And if you look on the BBC's website, it's got these satellite pictures of the area in Rafa, which is about three and a half square kilometres, about 500 football pitches, they say which was pretty much empty in October, and now it's filled with tens of thousands of tents. Now, we know that Israel has demonstrated a willingness to repeatedly bomb areas that it told civilians to flee to, and what the UN says is that there's just nowhere for people to go in Gaza. They can't go south into Egypt across the border, and they can't really shelter in the north because their homes have been destroyed. So it's an absolutely horrendous situation there. And meanwhile, the US, which is the most important ally and backer of Israel, says it won't be backing an operation in Rafa unless Israel spells out exactly how it's going to protect civilians there. 
Victorians in the northwest of the state are bracing today for what's being described as the worst bushfire risk seen since the Black Summer blazes. A catastrophic fire danger warning has been issued for the Wimmera, Mallee and Northern Country regions today, with hot and windy conditions expected. Temperatures are forecast to reach 40 degrees, combined with gusty winds of up to 50 kilometres an hour and a possible thunderstorm in the afternoon. People in the affected areas have already been been told to consider evacuating and not to wait for an official order to leave. A total fire ban is in force, which is stretching down to Melbourne that's also expecting heatwave conditions today with a top of 37 degrees. I remember around September to October last year, there was a lot of concern about bushfire risk for this summer that we're experiencing now uh, on the back of El Nino being declared by the Bureau of Meteorology. And I think to a lot of people's relief, it didn't really eventuate. However, we have seen really horrible storms, uh, particularly in Queensland and northern New South Wales. It's not to diminish what people there have been going through. Look, people in the areas affected can download the Vic Emergency app. That's the best place to kind of stay up to date with the latest warnings and info. Also, your local ABC radio station will have coverage. Uh, But yeah, the potential for a La Nina to develop around winter this year could see the flip side of what we're seeing today in Victoria, which is more flooding. So, you know, we kind of keep seeing these seesawing weather conditions impacting Australia. And we do go into that in today's deep dive, talking about the climate crisis in Antarctica. So it's all happening. And we told you last week about the right-wing conspiracy theory in the US that the Biden administration was working with the NFL to rig the Super Bowl. The conspiracy suggested the Kansas City Chiefs would win the game and Taylor Swift would walk onto the field to greet her boyfriend, Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, and then endorse Joe Biden ahead of this year's presidential election. Well, it all went to plan, pretty much at least. The Chiefs did win the thriller against the San Francisco 49ers, going right down to the wire with the Chiefs winning in the final minutes of overtime. And Taylor Swift was on the field kissing Kelsey after the game. But did she do what the conspiracy theorists predicted and formally endorse Joe Biden Bencion? No, she didn't. There was no official announcement, no official endorsement. Although people do forget she did already endorse Joe Biden in 2020, but it's certainly a tick of approval that the campaign would like to have again if he can get it. And it was Joe Biden's show in a way yesterday as well, because he or his office sent out a tweet after the game featuring Biden's alter ego, Dark Brandon, with his eyes glowing like laser beams saying, just like we drew it up, and it sent the internet sort of into meltdown. Mm, Yeah, I mean, it's them playing into the, you know, conspiracy and having a bit of a joke about it. Um, Also significant for Joe Biden yesterday, at least in my books, he joined TikTok under the handle at BidenHQ. So this isn't going to be run by the president himself. This is going to be run by his campaign directors. Uh, And his first post was him making predictions about the Super Bowl. I particularly liked the caption, which was, lol, hey guys. So really trying to drum into that youth market there. Uh, And it's worth noting as well. He's joined TikTok, but he signed into legislation in 2022 uh, rules that banned the app from most government devices. So there are really big security concerns around TikTok, uh, but obviously the potential to win over younger voters is, uh, 
is calling louder than than that um, in this case. Uh, Donald Trump also weighed into all the Taylor Swift stuff. He talked about how he made her so much more money through uh, what's called the Music Modernization Act. The legislation addressed copyright laws and streaming rights, which have in turn benefited Taylor, according to Donald Trump. Uh, so, yeah, it's funny how an event like the Super Bowl has become so political. Uh, but it was a great, great performance by Usher, I will say, at the halftime show. It wasn't <laughs> as great as I was expecting, but it was pretty good. Yeah, I I must admit I didn't see any of it. I've caught up a little bit this morning, but um, I'm just glad that uh, Usher didn't drop the ball, so to speak. Mm, yeah, it was fine. It was good. Not as good as Rihanna, but it was pretty good. Hey, Bencion, thanks so much for joining us for the headlines today. Next up is our deep dive into the climate catastrophe facing Antarctica. Antarctica is 6,400 kilometres south of Australia and is one of the most untouched places in the world. Our connection to the globe's fifth largest continent is pretty much limited to nature docos, maybe a project at school, and happy feet, although lately tourism to the continent has been booming. But there is a much more significant story unfolding right now. Anna Quinn is a briefing listener who works in Antarctic science, and she wrote to tell us that over the last couple of years, the region has experienced huge changes that will impact Australia and the rest of the world. There have been historic drops in sea ice, accelerating the melt of ice sheets and the slowing of ocean currents, not to mention catastrophic failures of emperor penguin colonies, the ones that often feature in those nature documentaries. Anna said Antarctica is so far away, few Australians consider the impact an Antarctic climate catastrophe will have on Australia. So we thought we'd find out. Professor Matt King is an Antarctic expert at the University of Tasmania and director of the Australian Centre of Excellence in Antarctic Science. Professor, thanks for joining us on the briefing. Look, first off, a recent report you co-authored said Antarctic sea ice makes the planet tick, a cooling sunshade, an insulating blanket, a unique habitat, a protective wall, a global ocean pump. Those all sound like pretty important things to keep the world ticking along as it should be. What happens if it fails? So there's a whole bunch of things that happen in Antarctica that feel pretty remote to most people. But actually, you know, every day there's a little bit of Antarctica that laps up on our coastlines and the things that are going on, the changes that are occurring in Antarctica reach out all the way to the rest of the planet, whether that's about sea level rise or about our weather systems. Let's take, for example, the land ice in Antarctica, currently contributing about 150 billion tonnes per year into the oceans uh, of ice that's not replaced by snowfall. So that, that contributes to sea level and that will accelerate in the future. It'll accelerate more with uh, faster warming. It'll accelerate less if we take strong action on climate change. But that's going to affect our coastlines. It'll affect our Pacific neighbours. It'll affect the places that we go to for a holiday at the beach. Mm. There's other things that are going on in the in uh, the ocean. So the sea ice, which is the frozen ocean, it's been pretty stable. It's been a resilient feature of Antarctica. It, it sort of grows and shrinks in an annual cycle um, as the weather warms up in Antarctica and then cools down again in the winter. But in 2016, it fell off a cliff in terms of how far out it extended. In 2022, it fell off another cliff. 2023, it broke all the records for almost every day of the year. 
So what seemed pretty resilient now seems actually somewhat fragile. And the extent of sea ice actually affects the amount of rainfall there is in Australia. We looked at one number which suggested actually if you took away all the sea ice, the rainfall in uh, central New South Wales would reduce by 25%. I think when people think of catastrophe in Antarctica, they think of melting ice and the impacts that that will have on rising sea levels. How come we're not talking about this more, about the link to things like agriculture, which is vital to Australia's industry and success? If you put a dollar sign on it, what is the value of Antarctica to the planet? Mm. Uh, there's more than just numbers, you know, and we don't want to put just dollar values on all of nature. But And the Southern Ocean absorbs so much carbon dioxide that if you priced it at European prices for carbon, uh, it's worth about 250 billion Australian dollars a year. Wow. Yeah, so it's a huge amount of carbon that's being sucked up by the Southern Ocean and stored at the bottom of the ocean and locked away. And if the Southern Ocean wasn't doing its bit, then we'd have to find more carbon reductions than we're currently doing to the tune of $250 billion a year in terms of the cost of that. So we're just starting to get going. We're working on some of these things, but I, I, I do think we've been a bit slow in that regard. Is it as simple as a warming ocean? What is actually causing specifically these issues that you've just kind of listed off there? Yeah, you're, you're right to talk about the ocean, actually, because the ocean really is at the heart of it. Antarctica, the atmosphere's been, you know, the air's been warming a little bit in Antarctica, but you've got a long way to go until it's consistently and regularly sitting above zero degrees. Um, you know, you can go to the Antarctica in the summer around the coastline where it might be warmest, and it will only very occasionally go above zero. So, but it's actually the ocean. Uh, the ocean, just a few tenths of a degree of warming in the ocean can melt the uh, land ice and drive up sea levels. It can melt the sea ice and change the local climate. And the Southern Ocean has been absorbing huge amounts of heat, not just carbon dioxide, but heat as well. And that heat would have otherwise been in the atmosphere, warming up the rest of the planet. You know, and so that's been good. The Southern Ocean has been sucking up heat. But it's actually now we're starting to wonder, is that starting to turn against Antarctica, starting to melt the frozen sea ice, melt the frozen land ice? And how, how quickly is that going to change in the future? Uh, of course, the ocean waters don't just stay in Antarctica. They're actually part of this really large conveyor belt. People talk about an ocean conveyor belt where there's ocean waters going from the tropics uh, to the poles and, and and things that are happening, you know, water that uh, is developing in its character in Antarctica goes all the way through to drive the global circulation of heat, uh, even up into the northern hemisphere. And so, some of the things that we're seeing in Antarctica now are actually causing us to go, actually, that conveyor belt's starting to slow down in parts by 30% in the last decades. So that means the thing that drives global climate change and drives oxygen into the ocean and drives nutrients into the tropics and that fish feed off, these things are starting to change. They're showing a vulnerability that even a year ago we didn't know about. And so there's some real concern there that things are happening that we didn't even expect uh, or they're happening faster than we did expect. Uh, and these things, of course, matter to everyone. I think there's no doubt that Antarctica can give off the vibe of being a pretty desolate place. Uh, however, it supports an incredible system of animals that live down there. Uh, not only, you know, the emperor penguins that are so famous, but tiny, tiny little things that exist under the ice that are doing so much work to keep our earth turning, even in the smallest way. What is happening to the wildlife in Antarctica at the moment with the changes that you guys are seeing? Yeah, so, I mean, 
krill. I don't think your average person spends much time in the day thinking about krill, <laughs> uh, but krill are the the little critters that sit in the ocean that um, that whales, seals, penguins feed off. We don't actually know where all the krill are. We know some of the bigger species, some of the iconic species, the emperor penguins have had a very bad time of it in the last years because they they depend on the existence or the presence of this sea ice that, that's been going into record lows. And that has affected their um, breeding. The, some of the chicks have tragically been, you know, swept away. You know, they'll breed again and hopefully that will, they'll recover. But um, there are changes that are underway that, that these physical changes affect the biology and the ecosystem. And, you know, this is really about what makes Antarctica special. You know, when you think about, you know, Antarctica being a special place, people think of penguins and whales and, and ice and icebergs. And some of this is being eroded away. But the good news is that we're getting a greater understanding of what's happening so we can be in a much better position to uh, inform policy um, as we get out into the field and make measurements and and develop computer models of these things. Mm. Yeah, well, let's talk about that then. What can be done to turn it around or are there fears that it's too late? Yeah, so so definitely not too late. The number one and number two and number three thing is to reduce our carbon emissions as quickly as possible. Antarctica can't adapt locally. Like there's there's no mysterious group of um, Antarcticans who live there who can amend, you know change their ways and their local practices. Antarctica is really responding to the planet and humanity. You know there's the seven or eight billion of us who are uh, increasing carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and and changing the chemistry of the atmosphere. So that's absolutely number one thing. We can also do a better job of protecting areas so that they're not affected by other human activities. So, for example, fisheries. You know, krill is fished to use as fish oil supplements and those sorts of things. There's been a fight on amongst uh, the nations to try and protect more of the uh, Antarctic oceans. Some of the nations have been uh, resisting that, and so they haven't been able to do that protection work. But we absolutely have to get to a point where we're protecting more of these areas so that they've got as much chance as possible. You know, it's like creating national parks in the ocean in some regards. Let's let's protect places, keep them special, but actually resist the pressures from humans that we can do while we work on the climate mitigation side of things. That was Professor Matt King, an Antarctic expert at the University of Tasmania and director of the Australian Centre of Excellence in Antarctic Science. And a special shout out to Anna Quinn, one of our briefing listeners, for bringing this subject to our attention. It is super important. And that is all for this morning's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you check back the Savo at three. And if you, like Anna, have a great idea for an episode, please get in touch with us. You can share your ideas or some feedback. Head to our Instagram page and send us a message. Just search The Briefing. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Thanks for listening. Listener.